0: Good evening, Los Angeles, and welcome back to another episode of the Apologetics.com radio show where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. My name is Jason Gallagher, and we're going to be with you for the next hour. And we have a good special guest, good friend, and regular guest on the show, Tony Yu. How you doing, Tony? Hello, Jason. Happy New Year, man. Happy New Year. And Happy New Year to all you listeners out there. I hope 2022 is going great for you all, and... guys got some good either resolutions or things that you are maybe looking forward to doing or uh, my word i chose a word for this year and my word is consistency i want to be consistent in uh, a lot more things uh, bible reading uh, growing in my walk with god uh, even exercise eating better uh, you know spending more time with the kids loving my wife all those sorts of things. I want to be just consistent. So that's my word for the year. Um, we are sponsored this week of the show by Branch of Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Torrance, California. Uh, we meet it su- uh, Sundays at ten a.m. and we always have a time of question and answer after our service with our pastor, which is a great time. You can literally ask him any question you want about the Bible or the scriptures or the sermon. And uh, we'd love for you to come visit us. That's Branch of Hope. You could find us at branchofhope.org. And we are a regular partner with apologetics.com radio. Um, tonight's show, I'll give you guys a little bit of background. Myself and Tony are both engineers. Uh, we met, boy, back in 2007, about 14 years ago. Engineers both working on the James Webb Space Telescope. At Northrop Grumman and if you guys have been watching the news watching NASA recently we had a pretty historic launch on Christmas Day the James Webb Space Telescope uh, flew into outer space and is currently in transit on its way to uh, what's called the L2 Lagrange point where it is gonna set up camp and take pictures and look back into uh, the universe with uh, infrared telescope and teach us lots of things about our universe. And so, you know, with Tony and I having that common background, engineers working on this historic, amazing telescope, we thought we would bring you guys a show where we talk a little bit about J-West and kind of what its objectives and goals are and kind of segue that into a discussion about science and the Bible in particular as it relates to astronomical-type discoveries and astronomical truths and uh, things that science has to say. Um, So I'll give it over to Tony. I actually moved on from Northrop Grumman back in 2012, late 2011, early 2012. So it's been a minute since I was working there, but I did see that entire program from concept through critical design review and uh, they were just kind of moving towards manufacturing and production. But Tony has been on that program ever since. Uh, he is responsible for uh, the great success of the SunShield and its deployment and lots of different things. So um, really great accomplishment. Uh, really excited to be a part of that. So Tony, tell us a little bit about Jay west uh, what are some of its goals, objectives, and how does this tie into apologetics and the Bible?
1: Yeah, it's it's really a, a natural segue, a real natural connection. The James Webb Space Telescope is designed to look into space, but weirdly enough, it's to look back into time. Um, they believe the, uni- the universe is around, well, rounded off to 14 billion years old. mm mm-hmm they think they can look all the way back into time to about .1 billion or 100 million years after the Big Bang. Okay. So we're literally looking back into time, not just looking into distance. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to find all sorts of scientific discoveries, including whether there's other forms of life in the universe somewhere. But um, they want to find a lot of answers about where we came from. But as Christians, we can tell you where we came from.
0: Right. And <laughs> where do we find that?
1: Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And yep. that sentence is way more profound than you realize. Right.
0: Yeah, so a little bit of a caveat, uh, just, you know, from the get-go here. Uh, the Big Bang is just kind of, I use it as a general term for, um, you know, it's a common term. And I just use it as kind of the, the, the beginning of the universe, Right. I see that as Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's a lot of naturalistic assumptions that go into what they call Big Bang cosmology and what you would be taught, say, in college in an astronomy course. I do not subscribe to any of the real naturalistic kind of underpinnings of that uh, theory. It's really a philosophy. It's really a way of looking at the world. Um, a lot of unbiblical starting points and assumptions that go into that. I don't think you can marry that with scripture. But you know, so we'll just kind of use that term loosely. You know, not not giving any credence to the secular uh, big bang theory or scientific philosophy um, in general. So I did want to throw out my, our number before I forget. We would love for you guys to call us if you guys have questions about astronomy, the Bible. Really, anything apologetic-related, we're here to take your calls, answer your questions and objections. You know, if you don't know the Lord, maybe you're not a believer, maybe you have some questions that are hindering you from believing, you know, things that you think might be ridiculous or absurd uh, that you've heard in the Bible or something like that, we'd love for you to give us a call, and you can do that at triple eight nine nine kkla It's 888 5552 we are also live on Facebook. You could, We're apologetics.com on Facebook. We're live right now. So if you want to go on there and leave a question, we will be kind of looking at that a little bit if you want to engage with us there as well. Um, also, we are listener-supported, uh, funded by donations. If you have a heart to support this ministry, we would love to partner with you. You can go to apologetics.com go to give and you could donate through there and we would be greatly appreciated. We don't take any funds ourselves. We're all volunteer based uh coming on the show and hosting and putting up content on the website. You find our podcast on iTunes. And so let's get into astronomy and the Bible and so one you know the the intriguing little uh title we gave is can atheism stand up? Or can atheism survive the onslaught of science, Tony? Why did you uh, choose those words as a as a title?
1: Because science, for the past few centuries, has been proving God's existence over and over again. Um, really, if you really study the science, there is no way you can be an atheist. Not if you study it honestly. But let's look at this issue of the Big Bang. Where did we get the term Big Bang? It came from Sir Frederick Hoyle, an astronomer. Mm-hmm. He hated the idea of the Big Bang because he did not like the idea that the, be- the universe began to exist. He, like pretty much everyone before him who weren't Christians, believed the universe was eternal, that it always existed. Mm-hmm. Um, he understood that if the universe began to exist, it threatened atheism. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Yeah. We're going to destroy atheism.
0: So I'll kick it off with a, one of my favorite passages from Scripture. Psalm 19, it kind of touches on this topic. Uh, The first six verses. Psalm 19, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament sheweth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night sheweth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. So I just love this idea. The heavens declare the glory of God. They are speaking to us constantly day unto day. They're uttering speech. They're pouring forth knowledge and there's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. And this is kind of the idea behind, you know, the more we learn about science, the more impossible it is to truly – to to deny God's existence, God's reality, God's presence. Um, it really lines up with Romans chapter 1, which talks about that men are without excuse it says God's invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood through the things that have been made so that men are without excuse and so we're going to get into get into that now so um, you know one of the things that we at Northrup we had a co-worker a mutual colleague a really nice guy loved him had some great conversations with him he was a outgoing atheist and you know I hope Maybe he'll hear this show someday. We'll send it to him. But he would ask a question, you know, to me. He said, you know, how can you be a Christian and work on this project? Like, isn't there like a conflict of interest there? Isn't there like some contradiction? And I think he was under a common assumption that that what we know about astronomy has, has made belief in the Bible impossible, right? You can't be a Bible-believing Christian and support these science missions that are building telescopes to explore the universe or something like that. And, uh, you know, one of the main purposes of J-West is to find, you know, alien life and, you know, inhabitable planets and things like that. And a lot of people think, you know, something like that would disprove the Bible. Um, Actually, the opposite is true, right? And many people today have the same idea. Even Christians might think that there's some conflict between science and faith Um, And so we're going to be sharing with you tonight that, in fact, the opposite is true, right? Um, Science is simply uh, revealing to us more and more information about the God who created, you know, the world around us. Um, And so one of the first things we want to do, you know, we frame this as a conversation that we might have with a friend, a family member, an unbeliever, a stranger, a coworker who might not be a believer and they want to sit down with you and say hey okay tell me what all there is you know i want to know from your perspective what does the bible have to say about god and particular in this area of astronomy right how can we you know what we've learned from the universe and studied about it you know how how do we get from there to the god of the scriptures and belief in jesus christ right and so i think one of the first places we'd start um, is with the scriptures and just diving into some of the things the Bible has to say about astronomy, right? Which which basically proves that the Bible is accurate when it speaks about these things. And it also circles around and it'll prove that it was divinely authored, that God wrote the scriptures. Um, you know, many of the Bible's statements about astronomy, uh, when they were written, and maybe in the you know, before Christ, went against generally accepted teachings of, you know, modern science in the past at the time. However, um, modern science as we know it today has simply confirmed over and over exactly what the Bible has taught from the beginning. And so as in all things, when the Bible touches on it, it is absolutely correct, um, especially when it talks about things of the universe. And so what is one of the first, Tony, you know, what is one of the first things that you would look to maybe in starting this conversation with someone um, in the scriptures that has to do with, you know, astronomy-related topics?
1: That's pretty easy. Let's start at the beginning. Uh, The James Webb Space Telescope mission is to explore aspects of the Big Bang, for instance. Mm -hmm. But the Big Bang actually supports the Bible. Did you know that according to science plain old science, all the matter, energy, space, and time were created in the Big Bang. Because that is true, matter, energy, space, and time did not exist before there was a Big Bang. So whatever caused the Big Bang to happen is not made out of matter or energy or existence space and time. That points to something that's outside of science, because science can only study matter, energy, space, and time. Right there from the get-go, the science is telling us science does not have the answers, the ultimate answers for where we came from. Mm-hmm. Now let's look at Genesis 1-1 again, dive a little bit deeper. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If God created the heavens and the earth, first of all, what are the heavens and the earth? That's the entire universe. In the very beginning of the Bible, the Bible declares that God created the universe, meaning that the universe had a beginning. Mm-hmm. No other religion teaches that the universe had a beginning every other religion, every other thought system before the recent past, say the last 200 years, assumed that the universe was eternal. So the Bible had been saying all along that the universe began to exist. From right there, in the very first verse of the Bible, the Bible was revealing something man did not know until just within the last couple hundred years.
0: That there was a beginning.
1: <clears throat> that there was a beginning. But what's the heavens and the earth? It's the universe. If there was no universe before god created it what did god create the universe from nothing, nothing
0: right isn't that what the Excellent big bang hello.
1: isn't that what the big bang is telling us that the entire universe leapt into existence from nothing
0: yeah so one of the one of the big implications of the big bang is that there was a beginning right and you have a you've coined a term i think I think you've coined it, the law of external causation. Oh. And that's kind of what you're what you're getting at here. And, um, you know, you could break that down in a little bit more detail. Um, a, I use a similar kind of teaching with my kids, which I learned from, you know, Ray Comfort. And it's super, super basic, right? Um, if there's a building, you know, there must have been a builder, right? right? Buildings don't make themselves. If there was a painting... There must have been a painter for paintings don't paint themselves if there was a if there is a creation there must be a creator because you know creations don't create themselves you know and you know you you look at that there's a little bit of design you know teleology in there too because you look at a building and there's you know there's walls and there's roofs and there's all these different design features right and you know There's order to it and stuff like that. So that kind of comes into it. Um, But the idea, you know, the law of eternal external causation, as you call it, is something like a watch can't create itself. Right.
1: Yeah. Let's break that down in real simple terms. When you look at a watch, you would not look at the watch and try to look for the part of the watch that made the whole watch. Right. That would be absurd.
0: You wouldn't look inside the watch to find out. Right. What it's not one
1: little spring or cog or gear that made the rest of the watch. Mm-hmm. Right. The watch was made by some cause outside of itself. That's plainly yeah, okay. obvious. Nobody would Common argue against sense. that. Yeah. Right. Intuitive. So apply that simple logic to the entire universe. Right. What created the universe? Any part of the universe? Right. No. Whatever created the universe must therefore exist outside of the universe. Right. Right there were. We've left the realm of science and logic demands that we look at something that transcends our universe and science. Right.
0: So hopefully we're talking with a coworker, a friend, and they're kind of tracking with this very simple common sense logic, right, arguments. Right. So, okay, there was a big bang, so there had to be a big banger. Um, Genesis 1.1 kind of tells us what this whole universe is made of. You know, you mentioned it earlier. Matter, energy, space, and time, right? If matter, energy, space, and time is what exists inside of this universe, and like you just mentioned, whatever is inside of the universe can't itself be responsible for creating the universe, then it has to be something outside of those things. So um, if you're outside of matter, what, what are you? The only thing that... If you're not made of matter... Or energy, right... Right, but just that would be
1: The only thing that fits that category would be spirit. Spirit right, would...
0: Immaterial. Would, right, something immaterial. Something immaterial. Right. Um, all the energy in the u- known universe is an incredible amount of energy, right? We can't even fathom how much energy in the stars and suns and planets and mm-hmm. all of it. So whatever created this, all of this energy has to be beyond that. Right. And all right? that energy so came immensely into... immensely powerful.
1: right. And all that energy came into existence in an instant. And how do you define the word power in in physics? It's energy over time, right? Mm, okay. So the amount of energy created in zero time means an infinite amount of power, mm. which is uh, all powerful. All powerful. Which Infinitely is a property. powerful. Right. Omnipotent. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the idea that the the universe left into existence in an instant implies demands an agency that is. Omnipotent,
0: Right. So you have a being that's immaterial, infinitely powerful, and now you have space. Space mm-hmm. was created, right? Uh, so whatever created it has to be itself beyond space, outside of space. And
1: could theoretically permeate all space. Right. And what do we call that? Omnipresence.
0: Omnipresence. One and more. The last one is time. Time was created at the beginning. So whatever created time has to itself be not made of time or be outside of time or beyond time. Right. He's eternal. So you get to this idea of eternality. And so right there, you have a being, a builder, right? The big banger, who is immaterial, all-powerful, all-present, omnipresent, and eternal. And so you're getting... Right there, you're describing some of the primary attributes of the God of the Bible.
1: Right, right. That's why I like the Big Bang. Because yeah, it exactly. Gives, it gives me all the properties it's, of God. God is required to give us the universe if yeah. there's a Big Bang. We do not
0: want Christians, if you know, as you're hearing this, to be worried, scared. Skeptical of any scientific discovery that might come down the road from, say, the James Webb Space Telescope, don't be skeptical. Don't worry about that. Um, don't worry about scientists, you know, who talk about the Big Bang. All of it, when you boil it down to its, you know, basic principles, clearly points to a creator, and that creator, you, as we see, looks exactly like the God of the Bible. Absolutely. Right, so... Um, have confidence in the scriptures and have confidence in the truth of scripture. And so now that we kind of use this kind of secular idea, this idea of a big bang coupled with, you know, just say, Hey, let's just read, let's just read the very first verse of the Bible. You know, let's start there. And it gives us this, you know, beautiful picture of who God is creation. Um, and you could use this argument in a simple, powerful way. The next step is to kind of, okay, there's our Creator. Let's look, at, let's look at the Bible a little bit. Let's see what it has to say about some astronomical facts and conclusions and things that it's taught. Um, and so there's several things in here. Um, one of them is uh, the, the earth is round. Mm. Um, this, as we know, you know, the earth is flat – there's people who think the Earth is flat today. There are uh, in you know the 1400s when Columbus was setting sail. You know, people thought he was going to sail off the end, you know, end of the Earth, right? He was just going to go and go and go until he either fell off the edge or found something different, you know. And you know, lo and behold, we discover the Earth is round. Today, we have satellites orbiting the Earth. Taking pictures of the Earth and we can see, it's clearly round, right? It's spherical. Um, but what do the scriptures have to say about the Earth being round? Like, and when was when were those things written?
1: Isaiah forty twenty two is one of two verses that I know that talk about the spherical Earth, mm-hmm. and that's not the best one, but we'll, we'll talk about it anyway because a lot of people use it. Uh, Isaiah forty twenty two says this: "It is He who sits above the circle of the Earth, and." the hebrew does not have the word sphere so it's des- describing a spherical earth with the only word it has and it's translated as circle mm-hmm. so that sometimes that's not the best verse but job 26:10 is the best he drew a circular horizon on the face of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness imagine a a yeah. sphere floating in space and there's light coming from one side on the right. one side of the sphere is light. On the opposite side, it's dark. Right. The boundary between l- light and dark is a circle. Right. Okay? Right. And the only way you can have that condition is with a sphere. Right. And the Bible, uh, whenever Job was written, which is m- multiple thousands of years before Jesus. Right. Knew that the, the earth was a sphere. Mm-hmm. And in this case, we don't have to worry about Hebrew uh, vocabulary, whether the The word in Hebrew is flat, two two-dimensional disc, circle, or whether it's trying to describe a sphere. Right, and I believe
0: so. Job was written prior to Isaiah, and uh, Isaiah was written seven hundred BC. B.C. Yeah, yeah. Um, seven to eight hundred years B.C. And we know from history uh, many. Astronomy textbooks will credit uh, Pythagoras with talking about a round Earth, um, or no? Pythagoras uh, thought that the Bible's teaching was wrong about a round Earth, um, and but Isaiah knew about it in the 700s BC, and other se- actually other secular astronomers. It wasn't the basic knowledge of the day, and so when Pythagoras presented that, they thought he was kind of off his rocker because it wasn't common knowledge. Um, but the Bible was exactly right even before uh, Pythagoras. And so I think one of the, again, one of the important things that I want people to to kind of take home with them is the idea that you don't ever have to be afraid to stand on the truth of Scripture, right? If you were standing on the truth of Scripture, at a time in history when they did not believe the earth could have been spherical or round. And you're sitting here teaching from Scripture that it is round. People might look at you funny. But history shows that the Bible was right, and eventually science caught up to the Bible and began to teach exactly what it had said from from the beginning. Um, So stand firm on the Scriptures, and uh, you'll never... You'll never have to, you know, you'll never be wrong. Um, So we're coming up on the end of our first half hour, and you're listening to the Apologetics.com radio show, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. The
2: mission of Apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the Internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to Apologetics.com and click Donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to Apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting Apologetics.com.
3: This is John MacArthur. Please join me for today's Portraits of Grace. When you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you became a new creation and your life began to center on Him rather than yourself. The Holy Spirit began to transform your attitudes and your actions. As a result, you started pursuing God's glory instead of worldly pleasures. But I must admonish you, just as Paul did to the Corinthians, test yourselves to see if you're really in the faith. Examine yourselves. Don't ever be deluded about your relationship with Christ. Did those changes really take place? Do you now have a living hope? Are you fixed on a glorious eternal inheritance? Has your life changed? Be sure your faith is real. That's the most important issue of all. This is John MacArthur encouraging you to live as Portraits of Grace. You might be surprised to know that Jesus never used the word grace. Hello, I'm Chuck Swindoll. Jesus certainly never used the word grace as a sermon title or wrote an essay about it. He just lived it. And actually, the Bible never gives us a definition of grace, though it's full of it. Scene after scene in the scriptures illustrates grace. Grace goes back to an old Hebrew term that means to bend or stoop. Perhaps the best way to describe grace is with the idea of condescending favor. Condescending, bending down. God did that. He bent down to bestow grace. How I love that word. Pastor and teacher Chuck Swindoll. Visit Insight for Living's website at Insight.org.
0: All right, let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the second half of the Apologetics.com radio show. My name is Jason Gallagher, and we are live in studio in Glendale, California, California. And tonight we're talking about astronomy and the scriptures. We're actually asking the question of, uh, can atheism survive the onslaught of science? And, you know, the idea behind that is as, as we learn more and more about the world around us, it's really m- more and more difficult for someone to continue to hold the position of atheism. And uh, we are here in studio with my good friend Tony Yu, Uh, Both of us are engineers who helped actually design the James Webb Space Telescope, which just recently launched into space on Christmas Day and is currently hurling through space on its way to its final destination of the uh, Lagrange 2 point where it will look back uh, deep into the universe and study our origins and look for planets with life on them and all sorts of fun and exciting things and everything... It will discover Christians do not have to be worried about concerned about you know we don't have to fear that they might discover alien life somewhere we don't have to fear um that they might find you know more information about how you know universe or galaxies formed. everything that they learn will at the end of the day simply support the truth of scripture and God's word and God's creation and God's um, amazingness as Psalm 19 tells us that the skies proclaim his handiwork day after day they pour forth speech that the heavens declare the glory of God so as we look into the heavens as scientists you know study the heavens it's just going to continue to declare the glory of God and so we just want your confidence and your hope to be in that truth and so we started looking at um just before the break some things in the Bible. If you're if you're talking to a friend, if you're talking to an unbeliever, um and you're walking them through, you say, "Okay, sit down." They say, "Okay, I want to sit down with you for an hour. I want you to just walk me through some things in the Bible about why do you believe it?" Like and we're looking just basically at the subject of astronomy and so one of the things we like to do or I like to do in those sort of settings is first just say, okay, well, let's look at some of the things the Bible has to say about astronomy and see if it lines up with what we know to be true and then see, you know, well, when did the Bible write that? And, you know, what you find is the Bible wrote things thousands of years before modern science discovered them, you know, and some of the things that the Bible wrote went against the popular views of its day. So when the, when the Bible said that the earth was round, you know, contemporary science did not agree with that. And it wasn't until, you know, hundreds or thousands of years later that science finally caught up with the scriptures. And now we know with certainty, the earth is indeed round. Um, I do want to throw out our number. I often forget to do that, but we do love to hear from you guys and engage with you guys. If you guys have questions about apologetics, Tony will answer all of them. <laughs> I will just direct you to him. <laughs> and our number is triple eight nine nine five 995 kkla It's triple eight ninety nine five fifty five fifty two. If you are up and about, and you have a phone nearby, give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. Whatever question you might have about the Scriptures, of the Bible, or... You know whatever's on your mind tonight. I know a lot of people are dealing with COVID. It's going around um, with a, with a you know, vengeance. Uh, but, you know, thankfully, it doesn't seem to be all that bad this time around. But if you are dealing with that, we are praying for you. And we um, just pray that you get well, your loved ones get well. And, you know, we just pray that you all stay safe out there. Um, so... We talked about the Earth being round. Another thing we could point to, with our friend who were, you know, declaring some of these things and showing some of these things to, is that the Earth talks about, or the Bible talks about, the Earth floating in space. And you know, one verse to consider is Job twenty-six seven, where it says this: It says he spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. So this verse expresses in a nice poetic way, beautiful way, the fact that the earth is unsupported by any other object. Right? It's not sitting on anything, um, which would probably be some, somewhat unnatural for an ancient writer to imagine. An object sitting on nothing, just kind of levitating in the air. That would be very foreign. Uh, to an ancient mind. Yet this is what the Holy Spirit caused to be written down in God's Word in the Scriptures. Um, Tony, do you want to add anything on that? No, I think you've got that pretty covered. Alright, so secular or science didn't discover this until 1475 and Job was likely written it's probably one of the earliest books ever written probably um 1500 BC or or earlier. He was before Moses. Moses around was around 1400. 14 yeah. So Sorry. prior to 1400 BC. So about 3000 years later, Copernicus comes on the scene. And they did find that the earth literally hangs on nothing. It's free floating in space. And um you know, other cultures around the world at this time When examined, you know, show the way that human cultures thought about astronomy and how the nature of the earth worked um, based on man's understanding. So Hindus, for example, uh, believe that the earth was held on the back of four elephants standing on the back of a cosmic turtle named Akupara. So you have a turtle and four elephants and then the earth. And you guys might have seen pictures of that, you know, in Hindu art or something like that. In Greek mythology... Do you know what God was thought to to hold the earth upon his back? Any idea, Tony? No idea. Atlas.
1: Ah. Atlas. That's true. You know, the Atlas.
0: <laughs> Makes sense. Um, so Greek mythology thought Atlas was holding the earth on his back, written by the poet uh, Hesiod. And Norse mythology exclaims the earth, along with eight other worlds, are held up by a giant ash tree. Um. And so you kind of see some of the thinking here. The Bible was in a league of its own, uh, but it was the correct league. It was the, honest, it was the truthful league, and it was you know the one written by the God who created it. So, of course, it would be accurate. And so um, in today's age, we have satellites orbiting the earth, and we can see pictures and videos that indeed show that the earth does float in space. But, so that's an amazing fact. That you can share with your friends, say, hey, this is what the scripture taught, this is what kind of um, man thought, what scientists had thought, and then, you know, 3,000 years later, they they kind of ag- agreed with the Bible, um, which is kind of the nature of things. It seems like everything is kind of continually catching up to what, what God has already laid down for us. Um, we just got to keep being reminded of that. Um, so, Tony, an objection you might hear along these lines. You know, you tell someone, a skeptic, maybe that the earth hangs on nothing. And they'd say, well, it's not literally nothing, right? Space isn't nothing. There's some sort of ether or something. It's not nothing. It's not like God creating from nothing. Space is something, right? So the Bible is not right when it says it hangs on nothing.
1: Well, space is a thing, but it's not a thing that can hold anything up on its own. Yeah. So what holds the earth in its current position or causes it to move the way it moves Mm -hmm. are the various forces such as centripetal force, gravitational force. Right. Forces aren't things. You can't bottle forces, right? Mm -hmm. You can't. They're not material.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think that's what the Bible is getting at. It's not sitting on something material. Exactly. Right. It's not sitting on an elephant. It's not sitting in some ash tree. It's not sitting on a turtle. It's not sitting on Atlas's back. It's just, it's floating.
1: If somebody had that objection, they're grasping.
0: Yeah. They're totally grasping. Um, and your, yeah, your answer, your answer is perfect. It, what it's getting at there is it's not sitting on top of something else.
1: Some physical object, solid gas or uh, liquid.
0: Right. Yeah. And so, um, we have the Earth being round, that the Earth is uh, floating in space, uh, another one that the Bible seems there's actually several verses, uh, maybe a dozen, maybe more, that talk about the expanding universe, right so wh- why don't you uh, dig into that one a little bit, Tony
1: Right. An expanding universe is entirely not intuitive to anybody who's not in ch- in charge of some very serious equipment, um, and that was only discovered in the early 20th century. So there are at least 10, maybe up to 18 verses in the Bible t- that talk about an expanding universe. Isaiah 42, five is one I'd like to bring up right now. Here's what it says. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out. Mm. So in that sentence right there, you have the creation of the universe, the heavens, right? And then he stretched them out. So that sounds exactly like the sequence of the Big Bang. First, everything leapt into existence, and then the universe began to expand into its ever larger, larger um, space. Mm-hmm. So you have that both right there in Isaiah 42.5. But there are many, Psalm 104.2, Isaiah 40.22, right? a lot of Isaiah's, Zechariah 12.1, so on and so forth.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's several places, uh, you know, when God repeats something, it's usually because he wants us to pay attention to it. He does seem to repeat this one uh, more often than, you know, some of the other things he speaks about, you know, the earth. Um, so that's something that we might just, um, you know, want to take note of. Uh, I did want to go over, it looks like we have a call on the line, so we'll hop over to Mr. Richard. Uh, looks like you have a comment, something about the universe. How you doing, Richard? Richard.
2: Hi. Uh-huh. Yeah. Whenever I uh, think about the universe on a on a biblical uh, setting, this question comes to mind. Like, mm-hmm. like, what do you think about uh, how far back the universe goes? Is there something in the Bible that says the universe goes on forever, or is that just what we what we just think it does? And another thing, I think it's physically impossible for the universe to go on forever. I think at some point it has to turn into something divine or supernatural. What are your thoughts on it?
0: Go for it, Tony.
1: I am not aware of a Bible verse discussing the physical size of the universe. I'm not sure it touches that. But uh, we know that even space itself came into existence at the Big Bang. So before the Big Bang, there was no space And as far as we understand it, um, space is still stretching out. Space is still growing. I I believe the latest science says that there is a limit in space to the universe. Mm
0: -hmm. There's an edge. Oh, interesting.
2: Yes. Okay, thank
0: you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for the question.
1: Great question. Yeah, sure.
0: Yeah. All right, see if I can say bye to him. No? Drop. All right, thanks for calling, Richard. Uh, I'm still figuring out these buttons. I should know them by now, but I don't. Um, so yeah, I think that was a good question. Yeah, I didn't know he, if he was talking about uh, how far the universe goes physically, or how far back, let's say, in time, back to the beginning or the starting point. Um, but I do agree with him that the universe can't go on forever. At least when you're going backwards in time, obviously. You know, we talked about that in the first half of the show that there was a beginning there was a starting point which implies a creator and so on and so forth um so yeah the bible talks a lot about the expansion of the universe um let's see what else did we want to note on that part um so we know that the in the universe is increasing in size right it says he's stretching it out um so whatever it is it's it's continuing to grow um You know, that is something completely confirmed by Edwin Hubble um, and his discoveries, you know, that there is, you know, a red shift um, in the light, which means it's moving, I think, away from us.
1: Right, the Doppler effect. At a certain
0: speed. Um, uh, Let me hop over to another call from Mr. Keith. Looks like he has a question about the age of the universe. Keith, how you doing?
3: Good. How are you guys doing?
0: Good, thanks for calling. Uh,
3: My question is, I've always had one little chink in
0: the armor of my faith, and it's the
3: age of the universe versus the age of the earth. Mm. And I've heard two solutions. One is, you know, they take the first seven days of Genesis and expand them into epics. Mm
2: -hmm. And the
3: other one is, um, they go with the creation story, but they say the earth is only like 10,000 years old and each one of those doesn't really sit well with me I wonder what what you guys
0: think sure great question you know it's obviously there's different thoughts and perspectives on that within the Christian community Um, I so I start with scripture you know I'll lay it out for you real quick Um, John chapter 3 verse 12 Jesus said, when I speak to you of earthly things, if you can't believe me, how can you believe me when I speak of heavenly things? And so Jesus is basically saying there, you know, if you can't trust me when I speak about physical things, the earth, the moon, the stars, etc how can you trust me when I speak about, you know, life and death and salvation and eternal life and heaven and hell and all those things? And so if we can't mm-hmm. trust God, what he says in the scriptures about um, the universe— uh, that's a problem, right? In Genesis 1, clear, you know, days 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. And so every day, God says there was evening, there was morning, and it was the first day. There was evening, morning, the second day. He does that for all six days. Evening, morning, and then a number, right? Right. Everywhere else yeah. in the scriptures, when when the word evening is used by itself, it means a normal 24-hour day when the word morning is used by itself it means a normal 24-hour day and when they have a modifier like day number one day number two with a number it always means a 24-hour day everywhere else in scripture it's 50 55 65 dozens of times and so
2: that i
3: agree with that so this
0: the scriptural teaching if we take this if we take the text at its you know as written It's clearly teaching a 24-hour day. And so there shouldn't be a major discrepancy between how old the universe is and how old the Earth is. You know, if everything was created on day one, the Earth was actually created on day one, they're going to be pretty darn close there, you know, with each other. Okay? That's just coming at it from a scriptural perspective. Now...
3: So you're saying the Earth is young, like 10,000 years old?
0: That would be the teaching of scripture. If you have normal days in Genesis, and then you, there's no gap there, you know you have you know Adam and then Noah and then you have all the descendants and you see the lineages traced back, and you add up the lifespans of these people. I mean, we have the history all the way back to Adam, and if you do some simple math, you could arrive at you know a time. And that's a young that's a young time,
1: let's resolve the conflict for this gentleman,
0: yeah, and so there's this idea that you're looking into the 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 heavens and you see stars that are millions of light years away, which means it must have taken you know millions of years for their light to reach us. Well, how is that possible if we've only been here you know thousands of years, All right. Do you want to comment on that, Tony?
1: Yeah. So let's look at Scripture again, and we have the solution. So when God created Adam, how old was Adam? Was he uh, a sperm and an egg? Was he a fetus? Was he an infant? Or was he an adult? Hmm.
3: Good question.
1: He was an adult, right? So let's say three seconds after God created Adam, and you walked up to Adam and you tried to guess his age, and you use normal dating methods, you would be way off, wouldn't you? Oh yeah. And God created trees, didn't he? So Mm -hmm. trees have rings when you when you cut a limb or the trunk. And if you Yeah on day one or whatever the day the trees were created, you cut down a tree, you counted its rings and you dated the tree that by that method, you'd be wrong. Right. So God creates creation with an appearance of age. Does that make sense?
3: Okay, not the actual age, just the appearance, appearance of age.
1: Everything who knows looks how like it's
3: age because he doesn't talk about
1: it. Right, he doesn't talk about age. He just tells you he what he created on what day. And when you look at Adam and you look at the trees and you look at the birds, the fish, yeah. They they're all fully formed yeah, the organisms. Yeah, the birds
0: were flying, the fish were swimming, right. you know, the cattle okay. were grazing and stuff like that. Right. But They were created on day five, and, you know, there they are, swimming and flying and stuff.
1: So you would be in error. They were
0: mature. They were made mature. Adam was made mature on day six. Day seven, he would have been one day old, but he was probably an adult, you know.
1: So you would be in error using normal means to date God's creation and applying that principle to the universe. The same principle applies. You know, some people are tripped up by how quickly God created the uni- the the universe with the earth, right? It took them six days, really. You know, th- if anything trips me up is why did God take so long? Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, God could have created everything in a have, microsecond if he, he wanted to. He could
0: have to. created in a shorter. But right. he was doing it, and, you know, we see this in the commandments. He was doing right. it as a pattern, six days and a rest. Right. Six a, days and a rest. That's why we have a seven-day week. There's no basis for right. a seven-day week. Outside of the creation, you know, mandate. Mm-hmm.
1: You right. Know. He had a reason for doing that. But but when we approach dating the universe and limiting God to human means, what we're doing is we're minimizing God in our mind. And we're creating a, an idol who is weak. Yeah. And we don't worship a weak idol uh, who can't create an, a universe in an instant.
3: Yeah. It's, one, it's just one of those issues I don't think about because it bothers me. It's not that... Yeah. It, there's challenges my faith it's it's something I've never gotten my head around but your explanation is pretty good I think let me encourage you you
0: not to worry about it Mm -hmm. not to avoid it actually look into it it's actually one of the most fascinating things I've learned I love it Um, if you want to email me we can dialogue more about it it's a simple uh, just Jason at apologetics.com if you want to email me okay Um, shoot me an email we could go back and forth a little more there's some really awesome stuff that will actually uh, bolster your faith I believe um, rather than cool. you know
3: thank you guys okay.
0: yeah you're welcome God bless you thanks for the call Keith you too alright bye right, bye alright let's see Drop that guy. we are going to hop over to um, Mr. Question Mark with a question about the size of the universe thanks for calling apologetics.com Hello? Yes, is that me? Hey, yeah, what's your name, sir? Uh, it's Glenn.
2: Uh, I, I gave it to your secretary. Not a problem. Uh, I had uh, two things, and one, uh, I did a lot of ministry for many, many years, and, uh, and as Christians, most people grow quite rapidly, and the Holy Spirit you know, starts to guide people, and they know, you know that they're being guided by the Lord. So uh, I was going to tell you about the size of the universe, which I actually read today. And they talked about tens of millions of galaxies mm-hmm. that they recently found. And that uh, the average galaxy, probably as you guys would know, is 100 or 200 billion stars. And yep. then they described how some of the larger uh, galaxies are. And they started to talk about tens of millions the size of, uh, of, of our sun and, and how many light years across they are. And some of right. them go into, um, you know, uh, tens of thousands of light years. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'd like to uh, tell you about the telescope uh, that they put up there. 13 billion years, it looks back in time. And I did photography and was friends with a guy who put the lenses in Cassini. Uh, yeah. We've seen all the, you know, the pictures of Saturn. So in uh, a couple of seconds, I would just like this to tell you, I did photography for years. And a lens when on, on the front of the eye is exactly designed to take an image and then drop it on a pinhead, which would be in the back of your eye mm-hmm. or in the back of the camera film. And that has to be precise. So those two things are designed, the lens to drop the image, and uh, a, a, a couple of uh, uh, inches in back, the film picks it up, which is, in our eye, it's a, uh, the retina and the rods and cones. But every single animal, from the smallest turtle to the, you know, to the biggest eye or an eye of an eagle, which sees a mile away, you know, a mouse running on the ground, that's a precise measurement. And, you know, if you take a camera and you move the lens, even a hair, uh, it, it goes out of focus. So there has to be a perfect adjustment constantly between the lens and the retina in the back of an eye of a human or a turtle or a frog.
0: So what are you saying, so, Glenn?
2: It's just, uh, it's just beautiful.
0: Are you saying it was designed well?
2: Uh, it's, it's saying that, it, you know, that the eye is the perfect example of something that had to be made. You're... Them two things can't line each other up, you know, a, a, a lens.
0: Are you saying we're fearfully and wonderfully made?
2: It's... <laughs> It, the wonderful <laughs> part is, is every bird and every living thing with an eyeball in it has that perfect uh, distance between the lens and its uh, retina to make the object in focus. So it's like a thousandth of an inch. Uh, right. And, well, you know,
0: and, Gene, we're coming. Focus. We're coming up on a last minute here, so we're okay. gonna have we're gonna to have to say goodbye for now but we'd love for you to call again next week or a week after if you can I,
2: I'd, uh, I'm gonna probably look you up on uh, uh your buddy Jason up on the uh uh on the internet yeah and,
0: uh, email you know, me jason uh, at apologetics.com you no
2: know, I, I did see God do a lot of miracles so right. I'd like to say thank you and uh and god bless you guys you're really doing a good job oh bye, thanks. bye.
0: god bless bye all right. It looks like we do have a, another caller online, but I don't think we're going to have time to um, to get to him. Unfortunately, we we are at the end of the show. If you could, yeah. Any other callers out there? Please uh, feel free to get in touch with us uh, with myself at Jason at Apologetics dot com. Uh, you can catch us on Facebook. You can send us a Facebook message. I usually get those and could respond to those fairly quickly. Uh, but I wanted to just say thank you all for listening tonight we appreciate uh, the time you gave us to hear us and listen to us and the calls that you um, brought in so until next time we pray that you would just be strengthened and encouraged in your faith and have a great and happy new year and stay safe god bless you